The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. We are, uh, shockingly to me anyway, deep into the summer already. I'm not sure where the time went. It's beautiful weather, and I'm hoping to hold on to it for a little bit longer. Um, But even more importantly, for all of our rising seniors out there, or the parents of rising seniors, hopefully you guys are really digging into the college process right now because it is not going to get easier and you are not going to have more time once school starts. Uh, So with that in mind, uh, this week's office hours, we're going to be focusing on summer college visits. So if you haven't had a chance to do college visits yet, or your fall is going to be packed, or you need to start some now and do some a little bit later, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Um, We're also going to be answering your college finance questions that you sent in to us. But first, I'm really excited to welcome a special guest today, Michael Sherman of Graduate to Employment. Uh, He's a 25-year veteran of staffing and recruitment and most recently headed up global recruitment for Bank of America, which incidentally, or not incidentally, included hiring more than 5,000 students every year. So he is a real expert in this field, and we're excited to have him here. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, Beth. It is a pleasure to join you today. All right. Wonderful. Well, you know, one of the things that we don't always talk a lot about uh, when we talk about getting into college or, you know, figuring out which college is the right one for you uh, is the whole question of the important transition after college, right? So you're going to college, presumably, uh, because you want to ultimately end up uh, working and having a great career, and college is a step towards that. So um, I thought it would be great to have you on to talk to our listeners about exactly that. Um, and so I guess my first question for you is maybe a little obvious, but um, why should you be thinking about the transition from college to employment when you're just thinking about putting together your college list of schools to apply to? I think I think it's a great question, and uh, look, it's never too early to start thinking about that other transition, as you mentioned at the top of the broadcast. This is a, a time when many of the listeners will be planning their college visits and the transition from high school to a selected, selected college or university. What I like to remind folks is there's another transition that's going to take place four years from now, and to your point, that's the transition off campus to right. employment. And it's yep. really never too early to start thinking about that second transition. Um, it has never been more competitive for transitioning seniors, transitioning graduates off college campuses to find work. Um, there are 2 million seniors um, that transition every year in the United States from colleges and universities. And uh, from an average point of view, 
each entry-level position has almost 24 applicants for every position. And, wow. Um, yeah, it's, it's extremely competitive out there. In, in 2016, 42% of graduates did not have a full-time job when they graduated school. They were either unemployed or uh, had plans to go on to grad school. And of those that were employed, 41% were in jobs that they were making $25,000 or less. And yeah. so there's lots of reasons, as you stated, one of the main reasons that we send our, our children to school. I have, a, I have a son in high school and a daughter who's a rising junior um, in college, and one of the reasons is to find employment. Um, from a financial point of view, with the exception of buying a home, this is probably by far, sending our children to school is probably by far the, most, the biggest major investment we will make within our lifetime. Um, yep, from absolutely. a cost point of view, you and I have discussed in the past, from a cost point of view, four-year private school, when you factor in all the ancillary costs of college coaching and test prep coaching and semesters abroad and so on and so forth, can cost almost $300,000 uh, by the time uh, one graduates. Uh, student debt is at an all-time high right now. Student debt is at $1.4 trillion, with a T, uh, dollars, and that's doubled since 2009. The, yeah. the reality is 71% of our graduating class uh, will have some side of debt, and the average debt that folks will graduate with is $35,000. It's right. quite meaningful because um, for every $30,000 in student debt, um, that can cut as you're paying off your debt and not putting away towards savings by finding a job. Every $30,000 in student debt can cost you as much as $325,000 from your 401k balance by the time you retire. So lots of different reasons why you have to treat your job search and think about your job search and how your school can help you in your job search, you know, very early in the process up to and including the time that you are selecting a school. Right. And so one of the things we do talk a lot about here is that you don't and different families are going to have different philosophies about this, and I think that's completely fine and appropriate because, as you say, this is a major investment. Um, but not all students, in fact, many students, are not necessarily going to have any idea what they're going to do for their careers once they graduate from college when they are high school seniors. Um, and, in fact, I know that... 50% of students are going to change their mind about their major, um, and it could be a significant change, you know, going from majoring in something like chemistry with a goal of going on to med school to changing to something like history with a goal of being a professor, or it could be something small where you go from chem to biochem and you still want to go to med school. Um, so. I think one of the keys is not necessarily that you need to know what you are doing, but more that you need to know what supports are going to be there for you when you are ready, when you've gone your four years through, you've, you've selected your major, you're, now you're looking for a job. So what are some things that you think um, students and parents should be investigating regarding how helpful colleges are going to be in that part of the process, that taking whatever you've done, whatever that ends up being, and helping you translate it into um, a job opportunity? That's a great question. And um, obviously, the main support that schools around the country offer their students are the career services centers. So what I encourage folks to do during their college visits is to ask questions, both on their college tours about 
career services, and I can go into some of those questions in a moment, and also from an alumni perspective, asking alumni of schools that you're thinking about, whether you know alumni directly or you can go on LinkedIn, and there are every school in the country has alumni chapters and pages on LinkedIn, and certainly ask questions about how effective the career services group was at colleges that you're thinking about wasn't helping them find work. Um, there was a recent Gallup um, Purdue University study. And they talked to 30,000 former students who graduated from 2010 to 2016. And of those 30,000 students, only 17% rated their career services center as, quote-unquote, very helpful in um, helping them find jobs. And if you yeah. think about the numbers that we talked about a little while ago about the cost and how competitive it is, to have only 17% say, yeah, career services was really helpful for me, um, for, for my point of view, as a parent of a, a rising junior, that just wouldn't be acceptable. Right. So, again, uh, doing some due diligence, both behind the scenes, asking questions of alumni, and then as you are making your college visits, part of those college visits, I encourage clients, go to career services. You know, ask questions uh, during your tour. How large is your staff? What's the ratio? of student um, to career services professional across the country for every uh, 2,672 students looking for support, there's only one career services professional. Now, obviously, that ratio ebbs and flows depending on schools. Um, But what, as I say, um, what percentage, other good questions, what percentage of your students graduate with a job? How does your school work to assist their students in finding a job? Um, What employers regularly recruit? From campus, do you work with your alumni to support current students in your job search? At what point do you become involved with your students in a post-graduation job search? And then lastly, does your career services center continue to work with students that are unemployed? Because if you, from a statistical point of view, one who graduates now without a job, the average that they will be looking in terms of their post-graduation job search is up to seven months. And so that's an average, and so you really want the support of that career services group. You don't want to be out of sight, out of mind. So really um, asking those questions as part of your due diligence in deciding well, you know, what school may be right for you. There are so many um, variables in deciding, public, private, location, size, curriculum, so many variables that go into the decision of determining what's the right school for, uh, for your son or your daughter. Um, what I encourage people to do is really think about that second transition. And as part of that due diligence process, ask those questions and find out just, just how effective they're going to be in supporting uh, your child in their employment search process. Yeah, and another thing that I would uh, mention to listeners is that you can certainly ask your tour guide you know, about their experiences. But as with tour guides in general, one piece of advice I have is remember that you're generally speaking to a student volunteer who may or may not be particularly driven to find employment after college. And so they may have no experience with career services, but that shouldn't mean that they, the school doesn't have great career services. Similarly, you can ask the question in the information session, but I don't think there's any replacement for stopping in at the career services office. If you're going to be 
asking those those detailed questions that Michael was just, you know, talking about, um, you want to be asking that of career services themselves um, and not relying on student volunteers to tell you that. You might get lucky. The student volunteer might have some great information about career services, but I'm always hesitant to say that they will. They are the final word, and if they haven't been to career services, that means career services isn't very good because um, it could just mean that your student volunteer isn't that good. <laughs> that good. And, uh, and that definitely happens. You know, you, when you rely on volunteers, you sometimes have to take a little bit what you get. Um, so in terms of, I think those are some really great and important questions to be asking when you're going through this, the college um, search. Are there any, um, you know, any questions that, you know, not and, and actually, you tell me, uh, my sense is that companies don't necessarily recruit on all college campuses. I mean, they have limited, uh, even there are more than 4,000 colleges in this country, m- almost 3,000 of them are four-year institutions. Um, so is it necessarily a bad sign if companies don't recruit on campus? Um, or, you know, are there other ways that you students can be connected with opportunities? Yeah, um, I can tell you as someone, as as you mentioned in my intro, I ran global hiring for Bank of America. I ran global hiring for EMC Corporation outside of Boston. And from an expense point of view, believe it or not, the most expensive hires that companies make are the entry-level hires off college campuses. So uh, companies are always looking because it requires so much travel to send teams Mm -hmm. to college campuses and then flying finalists to your headquarters for final rounds of interviews. It's a very expensive hiring um, proposition for companies. So companies are looking to leverage technology more and more as they hire off college campuses. What that has done at the college campus level has broadened uh, the amount of uh, companies that are quote unquote, I put it in quotation marks, visiting that campus because the visits are virtual. And so mm-hmm. you want to ask of career services what type of, not necessarily who visits campus, but where in terms of employers who regularly recruits from your student population. It'll Got give it. you a very good sense. It doesn't limit your opportunity to join a company if they don't necessarily recruit regularly from, from campus, but it certainly gives you better odds of landing an opportunity with a company that regularly visits. We had different tiers of schools at Bank of America, Tier 1, Tier 2, Tier 3, and the relationships, obviously, with Tier 1 schools were deeper than Tier 3 and those that weren't on uh, our radar. So what you want to see is what schools regularly recruit your transitioning seniors. Again, that will open up alumni opportunities for you as you transition out of school. Because if one of the companies regularly recruits as an employer of choice for you, then part of your uh, job search process should be connecting with those alumni and uh, explaining to them that that company is a destination of choice for you as a fellow alumni of X university. People are always willing to help out other people, especially alumni of schools. Right. Um, One other question that I have, and and that is... um, when do you start? When you know? So the students factor this in. They arrive on campus as freshmen. They know they've got a great career services center, and they're like, "Okay, I'll be, I'll be visiting them in May of my senior year when I'm getting ready to graduate, and it's time to find a college." Um, any advice there on on? Uh, I think we can all recognize that that's a bad plan. Um, when is the right time to be going in and and meeting with career services and starting that relationship? Uh, freshman year. Early and often, 
And when I say freshman year, that's just introducing yourself to career services, letting them educate you on their process as to how they work with students. You will not have regular interaction with the career services team your freshman year. But as you progress sophomore, junior, senior year, you'll have more and more uh, interaction with career services. Your sophomore year, it's about internships. Junior year, it's about either uh, how to work with the companies that offered you an opportunity, again, based on your internship, or getting ready from a resume point of view, an interviewing point of view, a networking point of view. There's momentum behind your job search. So um, when I hear that there are students of their senior year that are home for Christmas break and are going to quote-unquote swing by career services to see where I can send my resume, that's a recipe for disaster. Early yep. and often is the answer to your question. Right. And actually, um, uh, one thing I want to mention again to my to our listeners is um, don't assume that a great career services center is one big question I would ask is how, you know, when can I start coming in and expect to receive help? Because I actually have had a couple of situations where students who are at excellent schools that are some among the most difficult to get into in the country, um, and I'm not going to name them here, went in looking for help for an internship and was basically told, sorry, we don't have any time for you. We're only focused on seniors right now. And she was going in there at a relatively early point in her high school career, I mean, in her college career. So um, you might want to dig a little deeper and not just assume because a school is highly selective, if you are looking at that level, that that means that career services is going to be phenomenal because sometimes you would probably not be surprised to learn people rest on their laurels. Well, we don't really need to do that much because you're here and that should be enough. And we bring lots of companies onto campus to recruit. And so don't worry about it. Eventually, you know, we'll get to you. And if you're going to be someone who's going to want more than that, um, you know, dig a little deeper when you make those visits. Michael, thank you so much. Uh, for joining I us today. You had some thank great you so info. Thank you so much. I, appre- I appreciate the opportunity to join you today, and I wish everybody luck on their, uh, on their campus visits. Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, I'm finding a job to anyone who might yeah, still absolutely. be listening if they're graduating. Um, <laughs> absolutely. Here to help. Exactly. All right. Well, next uh, up, we have office hours, and we're talking summer college visits, so don't go away. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. 
If you're considering adoption, there are a lot of questions that you may have which need to be answered by families that have adopted, by the adoptees themselves, and by professionals. Tune in to Adoption Unscripted with your host, Micah Johnson. We bring you many of the answers you're looking for. There are so many resources and advocates in the field of adoption. It's a life-changing experience across the board. We hope you'll tune in every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Before the break, I promised that we were going to be talking about summer college visits in our office hours segment. And so we're going to do just that. And I'm excited to have Kara Courtois, my excellent colleague and former Barnard uh, admissions officer here to talk about these with me. Hi, Kara. Hi, Beth. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, So, uh, of course, in our current roles here at College Coach, we talk to students and families a lot about college visits and really how important they are. Uh, I know sometimes families will say, well, we're just going to wait and do our visits after we find out where she's gotten into school. And and we have talked in previous segments about why that's a bad idea, because what if you apply to a bunch of schools that look great on paper, but in person don't match up? Um, So, but I do think we've effectively convinced people that there is some value in college visits. Um, But um, I'm curious about your thoughts about um, summer visits in particular. What do you see as being different when you visit in the summer versus visiting when school is in session? Yeah, um, I mean, hands down, it's usually that there's just fewer students and that, you know, that just the regular routine of a, a campus life is not quite the same. Um, but I definitely think there's a lot of value to it, and I you know, I often find myself saying to families, you know, bottom line is you have to, you, you have to do visits. That I agree with you 100% for what you said. And if the summer is when you can go, you know, as a family, that's the time you can arrange. Then, then you go. And personally, when I was in admissions, I loved when families came in the summer because mm-hmm. we weren't running around, you know, coming in off the road of traveling all over the country and so we were, you know, the admissions officers, other than negotiating some vacation time, we were really in the office in planning stages and so really easily present to students and oftentimes a little more centered and focused. Um, and also having coming off a admission cycle, you know, we had a lot to share um, with students that was maybe new updated information. So I think there's a ton of value both in the admissions department and the, the welcoming, you know, reception and connection you can get with an admissions counselor, as well as sometimes, you know, what you can get, um, you know, if you plan ahead and try and seek out connections with professors, et cetera. Got it. So in terms of um, just quickly, some basic things you want to do during any visit, whether you're going during the summer or school is in session, just give us the highlights of things you always recommend students do. 
Well, definitely. I mean, at first, if it's a school that's usually, you know, in the, the small to medium sized range, so anywhere from, you know, 7,000 or fewer, but m- more likely like 5,000 or fewer, um, check if they offer an interview or if they highly recommend an interview or in a rare instance that it's manda- mandated because those summer interviews will often fill up very, very quickly. And so, um, or the odds of when you finally map out as a family, well, this is when we'd ideally like to go to visit Barnard College. <laughs> and <laughs> then you happen to call and find out, um, you know, that they've been booked solidly, you know, for a month and that there's no wiggle room. And, you know, it, it's not the end of the world, but at the same time, it certainly throws off your planning. So if it's a school, you know, if you're looking in that size range of small to medium, you just want to check first. Do they offer an interview? And is it something I want to take advantage of on this trip? Um, I don't always recommend, I just want to add in, I don't always recommend a student interview the first time they go to a campus. If it's certainly, if it's their top choice school or they think it is, um, or they just don't really know much about it and really are not quite prepared, like they're new to the whole looking at colleges process. Um, but for some students, I would say, you know, in the ideal world, yes. If you're not going to get back to the campus and the only place to do the interview is on campus, yeah, plan ahead for that. But um, you know, might you might also look into it and then discover, you know what, I, I'm not ready for this, you know, as a student. And that's another conversation probably separately. Um, and then other things I always recommend, whether it's in the summer or in the, the school year, is <clears throat> you know, if you have some specific interests, um, be it uh, a school, you know, a synchronized ice skating or synchronized swimming or for majors, um, you know, you know you want to be biomedical engineering or you want to study um, biology, but there's kind of a very specific, you know, interest that you have. Um, we don't usually suggest first and foremost that you focus on major, but I often will say, well, if this is your one time there and you really are trying to maximize, you might want to try to look up the email addresses of professors in those areas of expertise and see if they'll be on campus and see if there's any chance they might have a 15-minute window to meet with you. Um, A lot of professors will take vacation in the summer as well, but sometimes similar to what I said about admissions, that they're, you know, eager to meet with you if they've just been, Mm -hmm. you know, doing their own work during the day and they'd like to see a human being. So those are are two top things. Yeah, and I think um, some really good points. I do think you you made a good point there that isn't necessarily for everyone, right, because you don't need to know your major going in. And not every Mm -hmm. student is going to have so much of an idea of what they want to study that it would be appropriate to meet with a professor. So if you as a parent are thinking, oh, wouldn't that be great? I'd love to have my kid meet with a professor. And then your next concern is, boy, I wonder what she would talk to him about or what he would talk to him about. (laughs) That's probably a sign that it's not a good idea. Um, If you, on the other hand, uh, are a student or a parent of a student who you know would go in there and have really good good questions and be able to really have a conversation with that person, then then it could be a great idea. So you need to, if you're going to set those meetings up, you should certainly be prepared to drive the conversation. Um, You know, and I even think about the times when I was at Penn and a family would um, let the, uh, you know, the front desk know that they were there and they were from my region and they would love to say hello. And, you know, sometimes you'd come out there and 
and they'd be really nice and they'd have a couple of good questions for me, things that they couldn't figure out on the website. And sometimes you'd come out and they'd say, oh, we just wanted to say hi. Hi. And you'd think, right. okay, wait, I was just in the middle of a project. And, you know, I mean, there it's like anything. If you're going to take the time and energy to do that, then make sure that you have some things, right, that you want to accomplish in that conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. And I would put in a plug for international students. You know, by all means, if they're coming all the way, you know, from another country overseas, that, you know, it can be uh, just a helpful way to get to know a college campus is to connect with someone in person, especially if that, can, that college never comes to their school or their country, you know, potentially. So they, you know, really do want to, you know, plan in advance to try to find someone, you know, and usually the international, that was my, one of my former positions at Barnard was the liaison for international students. And again, that person may not always be on campus, but if you plan ahead, that can be a good um, first person to connect with um, as an international student. Right. And I think you, you keep mentioning planning ahead, which is excellent advice, because the other thing is if your hope is to meet with your the person who is your admissions officer, let's say the school reads by regions and there is someone who is specifically assigned to yours, uh, planning ahead means maybe reaching out to that person, shooting them an email to make sure they're going to be on campus when you're there because that is a common time to take vacation. And so Mm -hmm. you don't want to make this whole trip around a really important visit to a campus where you're hoping to meet the admissions officer only to arrive and discover, oh, it's too bad you missed her. She's on vacation, which happened right. probably more frequently than it didn't, right? Um, right. So that's super important. Um, any, any tips for um, planning, beyond planning ahead, any specific tips around, you know, how you go about even figuring out when you should go to a specific campus and when things are available for you to take advantage of? Yeah, I mean, the summer schedule, I think the key point is that summer schedules are often very different from what the school tour schedules would be. And Mm -hmm. I just actually had a student say the other day, for instance, that, you know, they had been planning um, their vacation with some college visits. And so they were trying to do it around the 4th of July holiday. And then they all of a sudden discovered that the office decided to close on July 3rd. (laughs) You know, right. it was, you know, a holiday, and so, uh, or they're closing early, and that um, they didn't notice that the tour schedule was different on the website for, you know, the pre-holiday schedule. So that's, you know, certainly something um, to pay attention to. And one thing I wanted to, you know, mention before um, also is one of the advantages, I think, of the summer tours is that sometimes there'll be individual tours, you know, as opposed to an open house where you might have hundreds of people visiting on the same day that sometimes mm-hmm. you can get either very small groups or very personalized um, programs. And that's a time where I always say to the student, you know, as much as we always say, you know, prepare in advance everything you were saying. If you're going to meet with a professor, have some questions. Please don't walk in just, you know, and have and just stare at them and have them stare at you and wonder why you're right. there and waste their time. But with a tour guide, it's a perfect time to ask, you know, all your questions about campus life. It is harder to get a sense of campus life when the um, students are not, you know, in session on campus in the summer. So if you plan ahead and and just, you know, just jot down some questions of things that you're curious about, like what do students do 
on the weekends or whatever social activity you could imagine wanting to pursue, does it exist? Is it a big part or tradition, you know, as part of this campus? What's Greek like? You know, if that's important to a student. So you'll be able to have sometimes those one-on-one conversations a little bit more easily um, in a summer tour, and that can be a really nice advantage. No, absolutely. You know, I I do think sometimes... Um, the summer is good f- for visiting for all of those reasons. The, the campus is usually not empty. So colleges mm-hmm. usually have things going on. They have summer classes. Maybe they have special summer programs for high school students. Um, maybe they are doing sports camps. So you're not typically going to see, you know, tumbleweeds blowing across the campus. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is going to be usually less hectic than during the school year. Um, and while you may want to go back, if this is turning out right. to be a top choice in the fall mm-hmm. to really get a sense for, okay, I loved it in the summer. Do I like it as much um, more mm-hmm. or less in the fall? Um, there's mm-hmm. still a lot that you can get from that summertime visit. And quite honestly, for a lot of people, that's really going to be their primary option. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's fine. Um, what that's about um, anything that we didn't talk about that you encourage students to do when they're on campus in the summer? I know we talked about a bunch of stuff, but you might have had some ideas, and I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to move to the yeah. next thing before we share all of those. Yeah, I mean, I think the only other thing is that, you know, with to your point about you know if you are able to go back to a campus if it has sort of moved up higher on your list or you really feel like you need to see, you know, dorm life or a day in the life, you know, finding out before you leave, does the college sponsor anything such as, um, you know, a visiting day at Barnard? We used to have Barnard days on Fridays, uh, Thursdays, actually Thursdays at Barnard. And, you know, students could come and spend a whole day touring campus, being in a class or two, and then sometimes staying overnight. And some colleges will do that. I find students sometimes assume all colleges do that, but that's mm-hmm. really not the case. Um, but sometimes they will have very specific dates. So that's a great question to ask, you know, before you leave uh, a campus, you know, what other opportunities would there be to come back um, and see the campus, you know, in its, its full state overall? Yes. A great, great point because, yeah, I mean, at Penn, we didn't do that. I mean, we had um, a couple of days after students, they were admitted student days, though. So for students looking to figure out if this was a good place for them to be, we didn't have something structured like Penn days um, where you could come Mm -hmm. and do that. So you do want to ask and you don't want to assume. You also don't want to assume that a college doesn't have that um, because as is usual, I learn something new every time I do the show and I just learned Mm -hmm. that Barnard has Barnard days. (laughs) I never knew that. See, so now when I have students interested in Barnard, I'm going to recommend that they check that out. Um, They might call something different, but yes. Right, exactly. So, you know, asking those questions is really is really important. Uh, and the Internet, we can't ever downplay the importance of the Internet in terms of the first and best place to start anytime you're wanting to interact with a college um, because that's hopefully where they have laid out opportunities for visiting, opportunities for when the college might be in your um, area so that you could attend an evening program if you're not able to make it to campus, things like that. Um, mm-hmm. Any any 
follow-up that you suggest? I mean, this is a conversation that I certainly have with some of my families eager to do something after they visited, mm-hmm. and especially when a student loves the school. Um, mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on uh, appropriate follow-up when it's necessary, if it's necessary, that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think for the most part, it's not usually necessary in the sense that it doesn't impact a student's application. I think the smaller schools on some level, certainly if you've interviewed, I think partly as a parent, I think it's just proper, (laughs) you know, to follow up with a thank you. But I always said you just never know what the admissions officers do with that. So always do it. Err on the side of if you've done something like an interview, always follow up with a thank you. I'm years ago I used to say, you know, handwritten, I am 100% saying email, because if it's going to make it to a student file, it'll only make it electronically So yep. at this stage. Um, so by all means, if a student is going as far as an interview, um, to, to write a formal thank you. If they connected with an admissions counselor or a senior interviewer or somebody on campus and they wanted to follow up with a thank you, fantastic. I would not ever anticipate that that has any future impact, you know, on their application, but it could create a dialogue if um, a student, you know, had further questions, they would have a point person and certainly a follow-up thank you, um, you know, could be somewhat helpful. And then the final thing would be, you know, nine times out of ten, I don't anticipate that students really know the questions that would be appropriate to ask professors up front. But sometimes after they've been able to digest, you know, a campus through the experience of a tour, that then they might start drilling down a little bit more to, well, I've seen biology, you know, at this school, and now I really want to know what's the difference at this other institution. Um, And they might be a little bit more clear on their questions. And that might be a good time to follow up um, by email with a professor or two or get connected with someone through admissions. I think most of the most readily you can find all of the information on the webpage at the college. Right. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, you know, in short, follow up if you connect with someone or have a, an interview, but otherwise it's really not necessary. And if your follow up consists of asking questions you could get the answers to on the internet, um, on the school's yeah. website, you're just wasting people's time and that's not going to yeah. work in your favor. Uh, Kara, thank you so much. I really appreciate you joining us today and um, some really great thoughts about summer college visits. Thanks so much, Pat. Have a great day. All right, you too. Um, And uh, don't go away because when we come back, we are answering your listener, you, our listeners, we're answering your college finance questions. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. 
Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. What is your purpose? In the journey that we call life, our values are pre-programmed into us before we're born. During our lives, we pick up life's lessons and soul connections along the way. We explore this path on Soul Sessions with Solstice, featuring hosts Delana Davis and Rita McRae. Our program is designed to help you more confidently live from your heart and not just your head. Tune in live for Soul Sessions with Solstice every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Uh, Okay, we're back. And I have my colleague, Kathy Ruby, who is a college finance expert and also a former dean of student financial aid at St. Olaf's College. And she joins me every once in a while to answer your questions. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Beth. All right, so today we are doing something a little different because we're only going to be doing college finance questions, uh, and let's jump in. We don't have a ton of time, and we have a ton of questions. All uh, right. So we, we get this question from John. Uh, my daughter's starting college this fall, and I've gotten some information from her college about enrolling in a payment plan. It says it starts in mid-June. Uh, however, I haven't gotten a bill from them yet. How am I supposed to set up a payment plan if I don't know what the bill is yet? Very good question. <laughs> That's a very good question, and, and it really made me think, because when I worked at a college, things worked the same way. We encouraged people to sign up for a payment plan in June, and we didn't send the bills till July. So hopefully, um, by now, John has gotten a bill. Usually, colleges will send bills in mid-July or so. Um, usually, they're due at you know, somewhere in the beginning to middle to end of August, somewhere in there, depending on when the school starts. Um, But it's not uncommon for you to be told about a payment plan before you actually know exactly what to do. So the key there is to just estimate as best you can um, and sign up for the payment plan if you want it. And you can always adjust the payment plan later. So you can increase it or decrease it depending on what the exact numbers turn out to be. Um, And you can also underestimate on what you're going to owe and then just pay the rest of the school when you want to. Um, Most payment plans also will let you, um, you know, his said it starts in mid-June, but they usually let you enroll late. You just make a couple payments at once. And and most payment plans will be for 10 months or 12 months. So if you wait till mid-July to enroll, it just means you have to make June and July's payments at the same time. But you're right. It, Got is, it. it is confusing, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, 
Absolutely, it is. Um, okay, so next question comes from Marco, who says, uh, what kinds, and this is actually directly related to the uh, session that Karen and I just did a minute ago, um, but what yes. kinds of questions about financial aid and scholarships can we ask on college tours? All right, that's um, that's a good question. I would actually, a couple things to begin with. First, I, I might not ask them on the tour itself because you're usually going to have a student giving you a tour and students won't necessarily know the answer to what you're asking. Um, usually an admissions person will, or in some cases you might have to get in touch with financial aid. But I think the first step is just like on a on an admissions visit, you want to do your research first. So read through the college's website, learn about uh, what their financial aid philosophy is and what kind of aid they offer, what their application process is, um, read about their merit scholarships and what they offer. Um, And then as you're doing that research, make a list of your questions. I would say one of the more common questions that you certainly should ask in an admission information session. Um, Most colleges on their websites will talk about merit scholarships, but they don't usually tell you who gets them. They just talk about, you know, we value all these things. And, you know, if you're wonderful, you'll get a merit scholarship, but they don't really tell you what wonderful means. So ask that question, you know, ask uh, if you offer merit scholarships, what's the profile of a student who might receive one? And what do I have to do to make sure I'm considered? Um, So that's one. Um, The other is if you have some sort of a special family situation, um, don't be afraid to, I would probably say, try to make an appointment ahead of time with the financial aid office. Um, So if you have some kind of situation, change in finances or questions that you've got, I would probably try to schedule an appointment rather than just walking in, Um, just because sometimes financial aid offices have certain limited hours and things in the summer. Right. Got it. They're working, but they're processing. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, All right. Good. And I think that brings up a really important point that Kathy just made, which is the importance of doing your research online before you go so that you can maximize. If you are going to sit down with someone from financial aid, you really want to be able to ask more questions. You could get a basic download of how they look at financial aid that maybe you could also find online. If you read it online, then you can come and ask those better questions, right? Yes, Rather exactly. than saying, do you have merit scholarships? You could be saying, I read that about these merit scholarships. Now I'd like to know more about who gets them. And you're going to make more out of that time than you yes. ordinarily Plus you'll make Plus you'll make a better impression too because you will have done your research. So. Right, absolutely. It's all good. You want them to like you. Yes, you definitely want financial aid to like you, especially if you're going to go back to them later on and say, hey, remember me? We had this great meeting, and now I want more money from you. And what do you think? Um, If they like you, it's like anything in this world, right? Um, Yes. You might stand a better chance. Okay. Abigail is asking a question that now I'm wondering the answer to because um, this is going to be me in in a couple of years. Can we use money from a 529 plan to pay for college applications and for standardized tests? Well, I'm sorry, but you can't. Um, You can only use money from a 529 plan. Well, actually, you could technically do that, but you'd have to pay tax and penalty on the earnings portion of whatever you withdrew to do that. So I guess technically the answer is yes, you could, but you probably don't want to because you'll have to pay tax and penalty on the earnings. Um, So for purposes of a 529 plan, uh, it's considered a qualified withdrawal, which means that you don't have to pay taxes on the earnings 
if it is, it's got to be required tuition and fees, required books and supplies, um, and those books and supplies actually can include a computer. Um, so it says includes computer or peripheral equipment, computer software, or internet access and related services, but it has to be, you know, required for attendance at at college. Um, and you can also use it for room and board as long as the student is at least half-time, um, which obviously okay. most, most traditional students are. And you can even use it for room and board if a student is living off campus. Um, so if you need to pay rent or the student needs food, um, they're buying their own food, you can use a 529 plan for that. You'd want to document your expenses. And the most that you can use for room and board um, is what the college estimates that it will cost in their cost of attendance. So it's not, it may not be actual expenses. You're limited by what the cost of attendance says that room and board are. Okay. What if uh, this brings up a little nuance, and hopefully mm-hmm. I am not getting too nuanced, but um, what if I have a student commuting, so living at home, going to school full time, can I mm-hmm. use some of that 529 money to pay for their expenses if I document it? You can, yes. Um, Up to, I mean, because most colleges within their cost of attendance, they do estimate some room and board expenses for um, students even who are living at home because every student has to eat whether they're, you know, living at home with their parents or um, living in an apartment. So, yes, you can can do that, but it's going to be a much smaller number than if they were living off campus. Got it, right. And and I don't... you yeah, and you can use it, it for room and board, but not transportation. So okay, yeah, oh, okay. So buying them a car would not be covered under no. the five twenty nine. <laughs> all right, good try. Hey, these are all really good things to know. Um, all right, I think we might have time for one, maybe two questions, but let's see how long it takes to answer a couple of these. Uh, so the next question comes from Jamie. My daughter is going to be a senior next year. Uh, if she gets a job this summer, so I'm assuming she means a senior in high school, if she gets mm-hmm. a job this summer, will this hurt her chances of getting financial aid? No, it won't. And your daughter should get a job this summer. Um, <laughs> it's a great thing to do so she can save up money to cover her books and personal expenses. Um, there's, there's, I mean, I guess the, the true answer is it does depend. I mean, as long as she doesn't make more than $6,400 in the summer, which would actually be pretty hard for most kids to do, um, and assuming she doesn't work the rest of the year, um, it takes until a student earns more than $6,400 in income before the, the expected family contribution is affected. So, um, so she can make... She can make a few thousand dollars and it shouldn't have any impact at all. Um, And remember, too, that the financial aid formula is always looking at two years prior to the year you're starting school. So this student is starting school in 2018, um, right? Yes, graduating in 2018. So when they fill out the financial aid forms this fall, they'll actually be reporting 2016 income. So this summer's income isn't going to appear anyway because this summer is 2017, um, but 2017 income will be reported when she's reapplying for financial aid in her sophomore year. But again, as long as she doesn't make more than 6400 total throughout the year, there's no impact on the expected family contribution. So go okay. get a job. Absolutely. Go get a job. I agree. Very quickly, another one more question from Scott. Mm-hmm. In the breakdown of costs listed on the college's website, I see a charge for health insurance. My daughter is already covered under my health insurance. Can I get out of this bill? 
Usually, yes, you can. You just have to, um, there's generally a waiver process that probably happens through um, your student's record. Um, So your student probably has to sign into the student information system, and there's usually a way to waive that charge. But be careful. There's always a deadline for that. And if you don't waive it by by the deadline, you might end up paying for insurance even if you don't need it. So make sure you're paying attention. The deadline is usually it's sometime in the summer or early in the fall. Um, but check that out on the website as well. Generally, yes, you can you can waive that insurance charge. Awesome. All right, Kathy, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it and some really You're great welcome. information as always. Great. Happy to be here. All right. Nice. Uh, all right. And so thank you also to all my guests for joining today. Next week, um, Sally is going to be hosting, and it's actually an interesting week for international students. We're going to be providing some information for international students who are going to be applying to college here in the U.S. in the fall. Um, and also, we're going to be doing a segment on um, what students can expect, international students who are going to be arriving on campus. So they already applied, got accepted, and decided to attend college here in the U.S. Um, so we're going to be talking to two people uh, who are currently in colleges about uh, about this piece, this process. Um, we're also going to be talking through some thoughts on how students can actually save money while they're in college. It seems like a bit of an oxymoron to me, but uh, we have some tips around that. Um, if you have questions, so Kathy and I just answered a few of yours, and we do we try to do these segments um, every couple of weeks. Uh, but if, so if you have questions, send them to us. Getting in voiceamerica at gmail dot com. Uh, visit our archives and our blog. There is actually a really cool blog right now um, posted by my colleague Elise Krantz. Uh, who created a quiz for students who are trying to figure out which uh, Common App essay prompt might be the best one for them. So it's a fun little thing to do uh, if you're struggling with that issue. Also, don't forget about my Huffington Post series. Um, Actually, a new post uh, on distinguishing excellence went up last week. So if you are thinking about applying to an Ivy and wanting to assess your chances, you're going to want to check that series out. Just go to the Huffington Post and um, search for my name, Elizabeth Heaton, and you should come up with this series of blogs. Uh, Lots of other great free ways to interact with us. Our updated website, getintocollege.com. I mentioned the blog, blog blog.getintocollege.com. We're on Pinterest. We're on LinkedIn. Uh, You can download our show uh, for free from iTunes if that's interesting to you. Uh, And if you would rate the show while you're there, that would be great. And don't forget, we are here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 